Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane and it's Friday, October the 19th, 2018. My parents, they were physicians. When I remember when I was a small kid, they went somewhere and they came back with photos and pins of conference. So my father was also health professional. He was uh, working for regional health authorities. He was pediatrician. So he participated in the Congress. So my first impression, it was like event from my childhood. I was seven years old. I have these photos of my parents with their friends from medical school and colleagues in front of the National Palace where the conference was. The first impression was that. You've just heard some childhood reflections from Dr. Yeltsin Bertinov, who has been Minister of Health in Kazakhstan since early 2017. And what he was recalling were his parents attending a landmark meeting in October 1978 in Almaty in Kazakhstan, the outcome of which was the Alma-Ata Declaration, which, 40 years ago, created a vision to put primary care at the heart of population health. So, exactly 40 years later, how has the world enacted on the spirit of the Alma-Ata Declaration? Well, let me quote directly from the Lancet's editorial in this week's issue, October the 20th. It says, Primary healthcare is in crisis. It is underdeveloped in many countries, underfunded in others, and facing a severe workforce recruitment and retention challenge. Which is why, 40 years after the Alma-Ata Declaration, next week, October the 25th and 26th, there will be another international gathering to form the Astana Declaration, Astana being the capital of Kazakhstan, which will aim to reinvigorate primary health care services as the driver towards the ultimate goal of universal health coverage for many countries. And the Lancet will be in Astana, hosting one of the sessions on Friday, October the 26th. For this podcast, we're going to have a discussion with authors who have two papers in the current issue of The Lancet, October the 20th, looking at Alma-Ata and primary care service development, and specifically how essential it is that primary care services are strengthened if the real ambitions of sustainable development and the road to universal health coverage can be realised. Earlier, I spoke to the corresponding authors of these two review papers. Firstly, Thomas Hone, who is a research fellow at the Department of Primary Care and Public Health at Imperial College London, and David Watkins, who is an assistant professor in the Division of Internal and General Medicine at the University of Washington in Seattle. And I began by asking Thomas Hone to remind us what that Alma-Ata Declaration back in 1978 was all about. The Alma-Ata Declaration was a broad and visionary declaration and it had a lot of wide-reaching implications at the time. And these probably weren't really realised until more recently. It stated that health was a human right. It outlined how health was essential for economic prosperity, how governments had a responsibility to improve the health of their citizens, and that equality was an important founding principle. It also defined primary health care. And it's useful to think of primary health care in a few terms that we use now. And that's primary care services, which are often the most visible and discussed part of primary health care, but also action to address the wider determinants of health, intersectoral action, equitable approaches to health and engaging communities in the planning and delivery of their health care. Alma-Ata clearly had very big ambitions back in 1978. Its implementation has not been totally satisfactory, has it? In many ways, we've still fallen a long way short of what Alma-Ata set out to achieve 40 years ago. Would you agree with that, David? I think so. I think it's sort of a mixed bag. 
in terms of the outcomes of Almata. I would say the declaration was ahead of its time. Uh, it was sort of overshadowed by geopolitical and economic developments during the 1980s and 1990s. As Tom said, it emphasized issues like reducing inequality, reprioritization of health by diverting resources from military spending. And we really haven't delivered on those ideals in many countries. And I might add within a global context that the growth in domestic spending on health in many low and middle income countries has been disproportionately on tertiary and specialized care, in many cases with donors sort of footing the bill for the substantial expansions of primary care services that have happened. So in those dimensions, I think the world hasn't fully lived up to Almada. But on the other hand, we now have a global universal health coverage movement, which I think is the present day realization of primary health care. And it's part of the political discourse in many countries. It's being used uh, as rhetoric in elections. And all over the world, we're recognizing more and more that health is a human right. And then we need to realize this right, uh, especially for the poor. So we're taking these issues seriously. I would contend that countries, especially low and middle income countries, are beginning to take these issues seriously, particularly after the year 2000, 2005, and taking the UHC framing on, on the issue. Tom, anything you'd like to add to that? I think David's covered, you know, the key points, and I would echo quite a lot of that, that it was ahead of the time. But we are seeing more progress in terms of the PHC agenda more recently in the last sort of decade or so. There's two points. I think WHO and UNICEF set this this goal of health rule by 2000. So this sort of measurable achievement or not that was going to happen. And so in that sense, yes, it did fail and there was limited uptake. But on the other hand, I sort of wanted to say that Alma Atta is really a vision. It's a constantly changing agenda or societal improvement and it includes, you know, new technologies, new challenges, which we haven't even foreseen yet. And, you know, primary health care is a way of dealing with that. If you see the idea that Almorata and primary care is either achieved or not, you're sort of misinterpreting what primary health care is. And Tom, what do you think are the main reasons for, for the failure and delivery of the vision of Almorata? A few points that we drawn in the paper and sort of tried to build upon. I think one of the key points was a confusion about Almorata, about what it actually was. Many saw that Almorata was solely about basic primary care, basic health package. Some um, misconstrued it as an attack on the medical establishment. And sort of in the 1980s, you know, things were a lot more focused on specialists and hospital care. I also think there were some other issues at play, maybe a more of a societal rejection, which stemmed from this confusion about, you know, again, perceiving this as basic health care that's rather intangible to people when there's visible high cost specialist life saving urgent care in hospitals. And I think that's changed a lot since then. But at the time, that sort of led to some of the lack of uptake. Some elements of Almata were just too big and almost unmanageable at the time. A comment about addressing the wider social determinants of health and intersectoral action to do this within the Almata declaration is really important. And it's at the heart of primary health care. But if we look at the agenda that has massively grown around the wider social determinants of health in the last just 10 years, no wonder at the time it felt unmanageable because now it is a huge body of actors and agents, agencies working towards that. I think there's some other elements as well. Like cost, it seemed to be really prohibitive to reorientate health systems at the time. How would you concisely set out how PHC, primary health care, can be an engine to, to basically drive progress now towards achieving the sustainable development goals? And for many countries, that could be a mechanism towards universal health coverage. How would you summarise that? I think an important aim of our paper was to try and dispel some of the misunderstandings about primary health care and also primary care. 
and demonstrate the links that primary healthcare has with other agendas such as the SDGs and UHC. While UHC does form, it has a target under the SDGs in SDG 3, UHC is a broader movement that encompasses more than just services and financing orientated reforms. Primary healthcare has a large interaction with, with universal health coverage outside of the Sustainable Development Goals. If we just sort of touch on some of the key, the key points, for example, with universal health coverage, primary health care is really important for universal health coverage because primary care services, which are a key component of primary health care, are vital for universal health coverage. It would probably be completely impractical or extremely costly to try and deliver UHC without using primary health care, primary care services. Additionally, if we go back to this definition of health and well-being, rather than an absence of disease. You know, there's a worry that universal health coverage may end up focusing more purely on service and financing reforms or just as a service delivery platform. So we need to kind of think more in this patient-centered comprehensive care approach that primary care is, is bringing to the argument. Thirdly, in a related way, universal health coverage can't really be separated from the wider social determinants health agenda and also equity and the right to health. So you need to consider UHC as part of that and preventative actions which are important to the wider social determinants of health and also the principles such as equity are prerequisites for uh, universal health coverage as they cover the most disadvantaged and vulnerable populations. I think the key point is that primary health care is a way of institutionalising principles and approaches which will underpin successful progress towards universal health coverage. Your paper also talks about the reframing of, of PHC, of primary health care. Could you give an example of what that might mean to a low-income or middle-income country as to how a reshaping of, of PHC could actually get them on track for delivering sustainable development? The point is that primary health care is a way of looking at a lot of these agendas together, looking at intersectoral action, addressing the wider social determinants of health, equity, communities and bringing those together. Evidence has grown a lot in the last 10 years about what countries can do and what, what actions there are, which will have benefits for the sustainable development goals, not just for health, but all of them. Stronger primary care in a lot of countries has been associated with cost effectiveness and better health outcomes. Primary care is a basis for a lot of universal health coverage in many countries. So a few countries, including Costa Rica, Brazil, Chile, are good examples of that. One study which is looking at primary health care in Brazil has shown that there can be reductions in health inequalities. And in other studies, a lot have shown that community participation is really important for the sustainability and the effectiveness of interventions. And this includes a wide range of uh, high-income countries, but many LMICs, such as India, Bangladesh, China, Tanzania. David, if we can turn to your paper, which is basically revisiting Alma Arta 40 years on within the light of, particularly within a piece of work, a major piece of work that The Lancet was involved in five years ago in 2013, the investing in health commission talking up this very important concept of grand convergence, how basically health services and universal health coverage was going to be mapped out to the year 2035 through this concept called grand convergence. Can you just remind us what the kind of vision was five years ago when that investment in health commission was published? Sure. The basic idea behind grand convergence was that um, if one looks at levels and trends in mortality from the big so-called traditional global health challenges, uh, under five mortality, maternal mortality, HIV, 
TB. Uh, then you find that some middle-income countries have, have already achieved very low mortality from those conditions. And the model countries and the Global Health 2035 reports where uh, four countries that started with C, uh, they've already, some of them have already been brought up, uh, China, Cuba, Costa Rica, and Chile. The Commission on Investing in Health argued that the rest of low- and middle-income countries could drive down mortality from these conditions to levels seen in the best-performing middle-income countries, and so you would have a grand convergence in mortality rates around those important health conditions. And the modeling analysis done for Global Health 2035 showed that this convergence would be possible through a package of existing health technologies, health interventions, and it would be at a reasonable cost and mostly financed through domestic resources that would result from uh, GDP growth between 2011 and 2035. Tom touched on this in relation to our outer and how just the world changes and the challenges become enormous in a way that we could not foresee. Is it safe to say, is it fair to say that even in the past five years since the Investing in Health Commission was published, that the landscape has changed and we've got new challenges to adjust to even within the past five years? Absolutely. And this paper really is meant to build on the original Global Health 2035 report in, in several important ways. First, it sort of reassesses the prospects for grand convergence in light of more recent trends in mortality rates. We show in the paper that the world is generally on track to reduce under five mortality and HIV AIDS mortality, but really off track on maternal mortality and TB. In the second section of the paper, we revisit Global Health 2035's messages on NCDs and on universal health coverage. Since this is an area that's increasingly of interest to countries trying to move advance beyond the grand convergence agenda. We argue for sort of catalytic but focused investments in cost-effective NCD care, mental health care, injury care. Um, and this would expand over time as health system capacity increases and as the disease burden from infections and maternal and child health conditions recedes. And a lot of our recommendations in the paper build on the recently published disease control priorities, uh, third edition, or DCV3. In the final section of the paper, we reassess the role of donor aid or official development assistance for health. And we thought this section would be a really important complement to the primary healthcare and domestic policy discussion because now we're in an era of sort of flagging internationalism and, and in some cases retreat on the part of some of the traditional global health donors. So we argue strongly that over time development assistance should be reoriented away from direct country support and towards international collective action to address uh, what you might call transnational challenges and that reorientation would continue to support countries indirectly by, for instance, research and development for products for neglected diseases, but that health aid should also begin to pivot towards the health problems of the future. Some examples include uh, tackling cross-border spread of pollution, junk foods, um, supporting implementation research in NCDs and the like. So we really reassessed the the conclusions of the original report in light of these recent changes and took a sharp focus on what does this mean for Alma-Ata and for the primary healthcare movements. You talk about the essential PHC, essential primary healthcare packages. What is meant by this? Our paper tries to define primary healthcare as not so much a set of interventions, but as a series of delivery platforms that are close to the community and that address important local health issues. And the question of what PHC platforms are delivering, what sort of services, what sort of interventions they're delivering, is a question for the national UHC system. So we draw on the idea of a model UHC benefits package that 
was developed as part of Disease Control Priorities 3rd Edition. And we show how many of the important elements of that package, uh, including nearly all the interventions directed towards grand convergence, are delivered through primary healthcare platforms. So, for example, DCP3's model UHC package had 218 unique interventions, and 198 of them were delivered on one of the four sort of stylized primary healthcare platforms. And these include community-based services, health centers, first-level hospitals, sometimes called district hospitals, and population-based sort of public health interventions. And then we estimated the cost and potential health impact of the package of PHC-based interventions in this paper, and we assessed whether that package could be financed through domestic resources by 2035. Tom, presumably this resonates with your paper, uh, with PHC being at the heart of, of the road ahead for uh, the spirit of Amarata and, and the track towards the Sustainable Development Goals. Definitely. We also mentioned the disease control priorities as evidence that primary care really is the setting for nearly all aspects of the health system which are moving forward the UHC agenda. We mentioned the basic packages and there's a lot of literature to define different basic packages and I, and I really like David's comment that it's up to local countries to decide their interventions based on their universal healthcare sort of agenda. I think a few things that we also touch upon on this is that you know, we, we talk about the more uh, broader concepts of primary care as well and sort of a little bit about the more academic definition, sort of looking at comprehensive range of, of promotive preventive services, looking at health education and these other these ideas of coordination of care, the accessibility as well. There's one point I wanted to just sort of like pick up on and this idea of like basic as well as a term which is often used within primary care and it's often misconstrued as being simple or basic um, healthcare complex or is it more specialist or high tech. Actually primary care is a very complex service as well. It has to deal with a lot of patients and uh, changing over time with their complex histories. There's a lot of adaptation of lo services to local context and also the local drivers of health. And with a lot of general practitioners or family health doctors or local community health workers will understand that decision-making pathways are not simple, basic or linear. Semantics and language are really important, aren't they? And there are a lot of misconceptions around, aren't there, about what Alma-Alta was in the first place, what primary health care means, what universal health coverage means. Yeah, I, I, I think the flip side of the UHC momentum that I mentioned earlier is that now sort of every stakeholder in the group is advocating for their little thing or their big thing to be part of a national UHC system and PHC for that matter. And this can quickly lead to a situation where, where UHC see vaguely defined is, is impractical and unaffordable in low and middle income countries and really everywhere. Because that notion of UHC could promise too much and deliver too little and waste a lot of money in the process. In our paper, we, we try to draw a distinction between the UHC movement as, as a political process and between a more technocratic notion of UHC, which we call essential UHC. And essential UHC is an explicitly defined guaranteed package of essential health interventions. And that is the vehicle for realizing UHC progressively over time. So essential UHC is, is interventions that are defined as providing good value for money. They preferentially improve the health of the most disadvantaged. They protect against financial risks of illness or injury, including, of course, having to pay out of pocket for seeking care for illness or injury. And we speak of essential UHC as a disciplined approach to UHC. And I think this could be extended to mean a disciplined approach to PHC as well. They're really great points. And David, I think what I liked was this disentangling of a of a political sort of agenda and a more technocratic agenda. And that's one of the challenges which Alma Atta suffered in the 80s. The 
political visionary approach was misconstrued as a technical approach and the creation of the selective primary care and um, as an agenda to move forward and actually implement some of this. But the challenge with the selective primary care was that it lost a lot of the the broader vision that Almata had, including addressing wider the determinants of health, intersectoral action, community participation, equity as well. And that led sort of an agenda which was quite focused on, on services. What we sort of demonstrate in our paper here is that these wider approaches, including the wider social determinants of health, intersectoral action, are where the real money is. And this is what really delivers the, the benefit, not just for health, but also for the other sustainable development goals. I consider primary health care as the Almata vision, a real political uh, idea. And one of my colleagues said a really, some really nice words. He sort of said it was a utopic branding or a societal vision that we can all get behind. It isn't meant to be prescriptive or a list of reforms, but something that can move the debate forward. If we consider Almata like that and primary health care like that, then as a sort of wrapper for the other agendas and UHC and selective UHC, then it's a little bit easier rather than seeing it as a, some people still see it as a, a to-do list. David, with regard to your paper, Grand Convergence 2035 and all those aspirations laid out five years ago in the Lancet Investing in Health Commission, what renewed investments do we need? We present a variety of different funding estimates in the paper. Um, I'll speak about a couple of different categories. The first is the domestic component, the, the UHC health sector component of spending uh, through domestic health systems. And that amount of money we, we speak about uh, sort of a minimum cost and then sort of a broader set of interventions for essential UHC. The minimum amount of money to be spent on grand convergence, we, we argue, uh, would be about $27 per person on average across low and lower middle income countries. And that equates to $95 billion or so in these groups of countries. That, however, would only get you to about 80% population coverage and about halfway towards the related SDG3 mortality targets, but it would be more progress than is currently being made in many countries. We also produce a number of other cost estimates for other combination of interventions, and we show how they're distributed across different PHC delivery platforms. One conclusion of that exercise uh, is that countries are not spending enough on facility-based care. In particular, they're not spending enough on the comprehensive outpatient health centers and first-level hospitals that will be critical if any real progress is to be made on NCD prevention and care. And I should say that facility-based care tends to strike some within the primary healthcare communities a bit off or, or not part of the vision of PHC, but we really, by defining PHC as the mix of services close to the community and addressing common health needs. It inevitably involves first-level hospital care for things like injuries and acute infections that simply can't be done all the time at health and outpatient clinics. And so we sort of see this mix of interventions and particularly investing in facilities close to the community as, as really, really critical. And, and, and the direction for the future is to really decentralize services, but in a way that ramps up healthcare provider-based services and facilities too, particularly for NCDs and injuries. The second estimate is the amount of money required to fund um, priority areas for international collective action, that sort of international donor development assistance for health components. Um, so we identify a number of major priorities, product development, pandemic preparedness, financing, WHO, et cetera. And the total cost of those would be about $9.5 billion per year. That's a significant increase from what's currently being spent by donors, but small change in comparison to domestic spending on health. And we think those sorts of investments, the international component in particular, would have a very high health and economic payoff for the global community. Your papers lay out the plans we've discussed some top line things from them in this podcast tom how optimistic are you that phc 
can be renewed and revitalized and be that engine that drives a path forward towards universal health coverage. Tell us your optimism levels. Here we are in 2018. I think I would say fairly optimistic. I think there's a lot of recognition that primary healthcare and alma mater is ever more pertinent now. And that's really driven by cost and the need to look at things differently and also big agendas such as the social determinants of health and inequalities. On the other hand, a little bit worried about some of the political discourse that is circulating at the moment. And in certain countries, some of this is actively undermining many of the principles that primary healthcare is built upon, such as equity and health as a right. There's a little bit of damage to these public institutions, and that's going to take a long time to repair. So optimistic, but it's a long-term optimism. Thank you very much. David, final comment from you. We, in our report, remain optimistic about the future of global health generally. Cautious optimism, impatient optimism, as, as uh, Bill Gates says, is probably the right word. The technologies exist for grand convergence in health and for substantial progress on NCDs. They, they can be affordable. They've been successfully implemented in countries at a variety of income levels. But increasingly, we're seeing, uh, as I said before, a retreat from sort of the, the, the global north and leading programs of fund funding programs to, to support countries of low income and low resource. And so a subset of low income countries and fragile conflict affected countries will inevitably be left behind the rest of the world if they're left to their own resources. So we argue for continued substantial levels of development assistance for those countries to help them achieve grand convergence and make progress on NCDs. But again, many middle income countries are really taking care of their own problems now and, are, and are, are the vehicle for leading technological change and scientific innovation. And so in that sense, we remain optimistic for those solutions to come from the global south. But the starting point for realizing the aspirations of Almada and primary health care, I think, are number one, a renewed commitment to internationalism, particularly given political changes we've seen over the past few years, a renewed commitment to being part of a global community and domestic reprioritization of health, which was mentioned in the original Ahmad Declaration, and I think we need to rekindle that. So those two starting points, I think, really are the, are the key factors that help us realize Ahmad. And I think those sorts of opportunities exist, and, and those choices exist in all countries. But thank you. That's a cautiously optimistic conclusion from both of you, which I think is a great way to conclude our discussion. It's a, a fairly enormous topic. Obviously, we are talking about the future health of the world, celebrating Ahmad at 40 years, the role of primary healthcare specifically within that, and obviously following up the idea, the concepts of grand convergence, uh, following on the Lancet Commission five years ago. But in the meantime, David, Tom, thank you very much indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you. Let's close with the concluding remarks of The Lancet's main editorial in the October the 20th issue. The Astana Declaration marks the beginning of a better future for primary health care. Leadership after the Astana meeting is essential to rejuvenate and revitalise all aspects of primary health care. Hear, hear to that. Thanks for listening.